Well, good morning, Summit. If you got your Bibles here in a second, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to look at a very familiar passage of Scripture this morning as we look at this topic uh, that we're going to call underestimated, what is God doing when we are weak? Before we get to that, though, a few things to say. Uh, First of all, my name is Stephen Bell. Uh, For those of you who who I may not know, um, I am the associate pastor of worship and families over at Hyman First Baptist Church, all the way over in the next county over. <laughs> I don't know where that was going. Uh, second of all, I'm also the executive director of adult and family ministries at Camp Nathaniel, again, over in Knott County. And thirdly, I'm your pastor's first cousin. So if you could uh, not hold me to, you know, not hold anything against me for the third part of that, I'd appreciate that. Uh, I love Mark dearly. I'm very, very thankful for him and the ministry here at Summit, and, uh, and it is a joy and a privilege to be back with you again. Uh, we've not been here. My family and I, actually, my wife, uh, all six of our kids are here this morning, and it has been a, a year since we were able to be here. And the last time we were here, we actually were introducing the uh, ministry that God had called us to, particularly to families with Camp Nathaniel. And, and I just want to kind of remind everybody that because some of you in this room are actually part of our monthly support team. See, at Camp Nathaniel over in Knott County, uh, everybody who's there on staff, there's about 30 people there on staff, and everybody is supported as a missionary financially to, uh, to serve in ministry there. We're not paid through the camp or anything along those lines. And so we're, we're fully supported in, in everything that we do. And so for those of you who are on our support team, thank you so much for your faithfulness here in the past year. Thank you to Summit Collectively as a church. Uh, for, for supporting us um, in a, uh, a gift that you gave to us last year, back in 2021. Uh, but I wanted to come here and just kind of give you an update on where we are and, and, and very briefly kind of remind you of our ministry so that those of you in attendance or those of you by watching by way of Facebook um, can, can find out more about what it is that we do and maybe God would lead you to be part of it in some way. Our ministry really is, is threefold. First of all, everything that Camp Nathaniel uh, in Knott County, everything that it encompasses, we are, we are there and a part of that. That's everything from ministry to families with ones that have just been born all the way up to our senior citizens program. We have married couples retreats. Uh, we are right in the middle of our seven-week-long summer ministry. Uh, this is We've always known about summer ministry. We've always been part of summer ministry in the past, but we've never been part of summer ministry as a full-time staff, and that is a different world, man. That is a different world. When you're going 24-7 for six days in a row, you get one day off, and then you're like, we're going to do this again tomorrow, right? And we're going to do it again, but not only are we going to do it again tomorrow, but there's a whole new group of kids come in that aren't tired like you are, all right? There's a whole new group of kids coming in, man, and you got you to pump yourself up because they're jacked, they're ready to go. And then you know what's going to happen after that week? A whole other group of kids going to come in. We've got our family camp coming up here in a couple of weeks. We've got 250 people going to be on campus with us in a couple of weeks. Families that are there to grow in their knowledge of the truth, and we are super, super excited about all that God is doing. So there are tons of things happening at camp. We're talking about a place, listen, I've been in the youth ministry for 20 years, all right? I know how expensive it is to take kids to camp. You want to take a kid to a, to a Christian camp somewhere around the nation, it's going to cost you probably about 350 bucks just to pay all their expenses for the week. That doesn't include travel, and we all know gas is cheap now. All right? Thank you for understanding my sarcasm. 
But Camp Nathaniel is the only place that I know of in the nation where if your child will do seven Bible lessons in one year, seven Bible lessons, which includes scripture memorization, if they, and, and it's like five verses per lesson, all right? So like 30 to 35 verses a year. If they will memorize those and complete those lessons in one year, they go to camp completely for free. Completely free as a reward for being diligent in memorizing the Word of God. And if they do that for three years, you know what happens? They get to be a free camper all the way up until they graduate high school. That is insane in a good way, all right? I don't know of any other camp in the nation that, would do, that, that is doing something like that. But we believe that the Word of God is powerful. We believe that if we implant the Word of God into the hearts of our children, that it will produce fruit. And so we're, we're fully supportive of this. And for those of you who are part of our supporting, thank you for supporting that type of ministry. Second of all, we back in the pandemic when it was going when it was going strong, you know, um, back in the midst of that when nobody was going to church, as the youth pastor, I was like, well, we've got to do something to minister to students where they are. And so we started an online ministry called Nonstop Families, and you can check that out at nonstopfamilies.com. That's my cheap little plug there. All right. And what Nonstop Families is, is basically it was created to encourage and equip parents with free resources to effectively disciple their children in their homes. Because when the pandemic was, was hitting hard and nobody was coming to church, all of a sudden we were like, if parents aren't going to pick up the mantle and disciple their kids right now, it's not going to happen. So we wanted to do everything in our power to encourage you guys and put resources in your hands to help you do that because we believe that God has called us as parents to do that. We don't believe that's the job of a pastor. You know, that happens in church. But the primary source of discipleship is to be the home. We firmly believe that. And so we want to equip believers with resources to do just that. Nonstopfamilies.com, all that's there. And then finally, one of the things that we are super excited about, and probably more so excited about than anything, is just the emphasis behind foster care and adoption. This is, uh, this is an area that has affected our family tremendously. Three of our children are, are, are in that category, and, and we've got a, a little one with us who's 18 months old that, Lord willing, by, by God's grace, by December, he will officially be part of our family as well. And I mean, he's a part of our family right now, man. You're not changing that, you know? And, uh, but we, uh, we are trusting God in that situation, and we are excited to see what happens. But our monthly supporters know this. This isn't something that camp has asked us to do. This is just something that we feel led to do. And that's 15% of our entire monthly support that we get in, 15% is going directly to Christian families who are in the process of adopting to help, a pay, to help pay off their adoption expenses. And so that's what we're putting, all, that's what we're putting that money toward. And um, we have just uh, recently, we've, we're putting a committee together at camp to, to handle all the distribution of these funds. And we're excited to be able to meet families, to talk with them, to hear their story, and to bless them and to let you, our supporters, know exactly where that money is going because we, we're going to be very, very particular in this because we want children placed in homes who are going to raise them up in the knowledge and admiration of the Lord and are going to seek to disciple them. And we, we believe that's what God's called us to do. We believe that. We believe the church is God's answer to that, and it always has been throughout history. And so... If you're interested in possibly coming on board as a monthly supporter, 
Or if you just want to find out any more information about what we're about, you can go to nonstopfamilies.com support today, and you can uh, watch a video. It'll give you a little brief rundown of everything I've, I've just mentioned, probably a little, in a little bit more detail. And, uh, or if you just want to sign up and say, hey, I'd like for some more information, we've got a table out there in the back, and you can sign up your information there. We'd love to get in touch with you, maybe, maybe have a little one-on-one talk with you to let you know a little bit more about what we've got going on. But there's one more thing. If you say today, look, I'm ready, man. I, I, I'm good to go. Let's, let's, let's start this. If you want to jump on board as a, as a member of our monthly support team today, you can sign up, put down a monthly donation out there, and then what we will do, we will give you a couple of gifts just to say thank you for, for jumping on board today. Uh, we got a mug out there. This is basically a soup bowl with a handle, all right? This thing's huge. Uh, it's nonstop families. God sets the lonely in families is what it says from Psalm 68. And then we also have a nonstop families t-shirt for you. Again, if, if, you, if you sign up to be a monthly supporter today, we'll give you both of these, whatever size you want. Nonstop families, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, which in a nutshell says... When you rise up, when you sit down, when you walk by the way, when you lay down at night, disciple your kids. <laughs> you know, go nonstop is what we always say. That in everything that we do, we are to be pointing our children to Jesus Christ. And so there's that. That's all the information there. If you want more information on that, please see me afterwards. We got a table set up in the back. Uh, our daughters are out there right now. Uh, I'd be happy to talk with you. Ashley would be happy to talk to you. Uh, but we are very, very thankful to be uh, involved with Summit in, in maybe just the smallest way, and we're thankful for the ministry that happens here. We just sang, obviously. One of the songs in particular, that second song that we sang, um, kind of draws us right into a little bit of what we're talking about this morning, because if we, if, I'm not going to ask you to go here, I just want to read scripture from where one of those songs came from, and it comes from Romans chapter 8. Beginning in verse 14, it says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. And then listen to what this says. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I just want to point something out real quick, because this isn't my sermon, okay? I just want to point something out in transition. We've talked about adoption. We've read about adoption. We've sung about adoption and that we're no longer slaves to fear, but we are now a child of God. Here's the reality. If you are a believer, adoption is very much a part of your story. If you are a believer, you have been adopted by our Father God into the family of God, and you are his child, and you are co-heirs with Christ. We, it doesn't matter if you've adopted a child physically or not, if you are a believer, you have been adopted, and apart from adoption, we would not have any hope of salvation. It is very much a part of all of our stories, and we should be, we should be lining up to proclaim the good news of the gospel to all who will hear. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, don't you love it when you had your place marked and your notes were in there, and then you started talking, then you take your notes out, and then you've lost your place in the Bible? I love it when that happens. It's great. 
2 Corinthians chapter 12. And this morning, I want to look at this, this truth of what God is doing in the midst of our weaknesses. Because we all have them. We've all experienced them. If you haven't, they're coming. I'd be willing to bet that all of us in one form or another have been there. But do we realize that in the midst of all of it, that God is at work? See, when we are weak, when we are going through hardships, when we are going through even things like persecution and calamities, which Paul will talk about here in a second, we oftentimes get so focused on our situation, we get focused on the things that surround the situation, and we allow those things to completely drown out the voice of God in the midst of it. And we find ourselves looking as if there's no hope when in reality, in the midst of our weaknesses, this is something that we have to learn to, to comprehend, to understand, and that we have to grab a hold of and not let go is the fact that every single one of your weaknesses that you have ever experienced in your life, none of them are meaningless. None of them are pointless. God is doing something. He's doing something amazing. A lot of times we like to think, oh, the devil's coming against me. The devil's hitting me hard. Let me, let, me, let me remind you of something, church. You do not live under the sovereignty of Satan. You live under the sovereignty of Almighty God. And if the devil wants to do anything to you, he has to ask God's permission first. Read Job. Our God is sovereign. Our God is in control. Does that mean everything that happens to us is easy to understand? Absolutely not. But we serve a God who knows the end from the beginning. He's already there. He knows how this plans out. And that's why we know that all things work together for good for them who love God and are called according to his purpose. The hard part is that in the midst of it is believing that and trusting in that and moving forward. Listen to what Paul says as he writes to the church at Corinth. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 12, I'm going to take us through verse 10, so listen carefully. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on the visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven, whether in the body or, uh, or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told which man may not utter. That stinks, doesn't it? It'd been good to know those things. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Now I'm going to go on to verse 7 here in just a second, but, but Paul is obviously, he's talking about someone who has experienced these visions and revelations of heaven, of paradise. And it seems like they would have reason to boast about the things that they've seen and the things that have been revealed to them. But who are you talking about, Paul? Well, he kind of spoils it for us in verse 7. When he says, so to keep me 
from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. Now, this has been debated as to who Paul's talking about, but quite frankly, from verse 7, I think we pretty much answered that. Paul's, talk, Paul's referring to himself, but he's not boasting in his own experiences or anything like that. He's not making much of the revelations that he's heard from God or anything along these lines. He's choosing to boast in his weaknesses. So, so the weakness is where we're going to focus this morning. Look what he says in the second half of verse 7. Or, or let's go back to verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me. What a gift. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power that it has. And there is so much in here that we can break apart. But I pray for these next few minutes that you would give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see, that we might behold wonderful, beautiful truths from your word this morning. May every word that comes from my mouth come directly from the guidance of your Holy Spirit. Let it be nothing in and of myself. Be glorified, I pray, for it is in Jesus' name. Amen. What's God doing when we are weak? That's the question that I, I want to pose to us this morning because if we can, if we can see our weaknesses from this perspective, if we, can, if we can get a hold on these truths this morning, it's going to change the way we view these moments in our lives entirely. I don't know what your weaknesses have been like. I don't know what kind of tragedies you face, calamities. I don't know what insults, persecutions, everything that Paul's mentioned. All I know is we all face moments of weakness and the challenge is that, is that we trust God, trusting that he is sovereign, trusting that he's in control, trusting that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that he is good in the midst of all of it. And I pray that this helps us do so. What is God doing when we are weak? Number one, God is keeping us humble. He's keeping us humble. Well, how do you know that, Stephen? Well, let's look back in the verses together. Let's look back in verse 7. So we're going to highlight these so you can see exactly what I'm saying. So to keep me from becoming conceited, you're going to hear that again. Because of the, great, of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Now, we, we've got some things that are just sandwiched together here, okay? I don't know what your favorite sandwich is. I've got a few on my list. That hot honey chicken sandwich right now at Wendy's is awesome. And they didn't sponsor this message. I'm just, putting, I'm just letting you know. But we've got here a sandwich that nobody wants to eat ever. And it's as if in this moment, Paul's looking at it and he's hearing open wide. We've got two layers of to keep me from becoming conceited. There's your bread. All right? 
Now, what's inside of that to keep us from becoming conceited? What does Paul say is inside of that? A thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know what this thorn in the flesh was. Paul did not reveal to us what this thorn in the flesh was, and it's often debated as to what it was, but apparently the Holy Spirit decided it's irrelevant for us to know. And I think I know why. You know why? Because if it was one specific thing, we would say, well, that one specific thing is not in my life, so this doesn't apply to anything else. But because we don't know exactly what it is, then we can apply this across the board to every weakness we ever experience. To keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Thank you. A messenger from Satan to harass me. Yum. <laughs> no. No, we're not going to enjoy. This isn't something you're going to enjoy. But, but why? Why is Paul experiencing this? What is going on here? He tells us why to keep him from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations that he had been given. So, so Paul is saying, despite the fact that it's a thorn in the flesh, despite the fact that it's a messenger of Satan, despite the fact that it was given to him to harass him, he's telling us right now why? To keep me humble. To keep me humble. Humility. I, I, I believe, I really believe that humility is the secret to living the Christian life. I really believe it is. I mean, Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. I believe that humility is the secret to living the Christian life. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write something down, all right? You ready for this one? You will never become more like Jesus until you're willing to become less like you. You will never become more like Jesus until you're willing to become less like you. It's humility. It's seeking to be like Christ, not like me. Not like someone else, but like Jesus. When John the Baptist was baptizing, people were coming to him from all over the place, man, out of the, out of the woodwork, these people were coming to John the Baptist to be baptized. And John the Baptist had disciples following him. And do you know what John says? As great as everybody thought John the Baptist was, do you know what John said the moment that Jesus popped onto the scene? He must increase, I must decrease. Humility. Humility. Jesus even said himself of John the Baptist, there is no one born greater of woman than John the Baptist. Yet John the Baptist says, he must increase, I must decrease. A man by the name of F.B. Myers said, the only hope of a decreasing self is an increasing Christ. And Jonathan Edwards said, the best protection that one can have from the devil and his schemes is a humble heart. Humility. God is keeping us humble, and, and, and you know we use the analogy of a sandwich. The, the reality is, in all the truths that I'm going to share with you this morning, this one is the hardest to swallow, okay? It, it is. It's the hardest to swallow because we, we don't like to think a lot of times that in the midst of our weakness that God is keeping us humble, and, and, and I don't think God's looking over us like, you should be, you know, set out, you're going through this right now. I don't think this is a punishment necessarily and stuff like that there are certainly sins can lead to punishment and stuff along those lines but i think this humility is 
This is a positional humility in our spirit before God and submitting ourselves knowing that God is sovereign over all of it. That's the type of humility that, that I'm talking about here. God is keeping us humble to keep me from becoming conceited. So that's the first thing. The first thing that we need to know in the midst of our weaknesses, what God is doing, God is keeping us humble. The second thing is that God is drawing us to himself. In the midst of our weaknesses, God is drawing us to himself. Look back what it says in verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Three times. Paul pleaded with God three times. Jesus, in the garden the night before he was crucified, went into the garden and he prayed three times. My wife and I had the privilege of going to Israel back in 2019. And they took us to uh, this recreation of a first century olive press. And in this olive press, you've got this large stone. It looks like kind of like a tub, but it's, it's like a trough that goes all the way around in a circle. And inside the trough, there is this large like millstone with a stick tied that's connected to it. And they would walk around this trough, and in the trough, they would put olives. And they would crush, they would press those olives in order to get the olive oil, the pure olive oil, out of them. And that olive oil would be used and enjoyed for a variety of things. But that would not happen apart from this pressing. It would not happen apart from this crushing. And you know what the standard practice was? Three times. To crush it, to press it, three times in order that the pure, pleasing result would come forth. When we go through weakness, we feel pressed. And in many ways, we feel crushed. This is not pointless. This is not meaningless. Because in the midst of it, God is drawing us to himself. Because look what Paul does. Three times I pleaded with the Lord. He's coming to the Lord in the midst of his weakness. I've been through weaknesses. I've been through a lot of weaknesses, a lot of trials, a lot of, a lot of tribulation that I've experienced so far. Some of you experienced way worse than me. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is this, that in the midst of those times, I am compelled to seek after the Lord. I'm compelled. What is compelling me? God is drawing me to himself in these moments. And I want you to notice something that, that Paul pleads and he, and he asks God to answer his prayer that God would take this away. And God answers his prayer. But he does not answer it the way Paul wanted him to. We're, we're going to focus more on this in a second, but there was a reason for the pain that Paul was experiencing that God could see, but Paul could not see it. So God gave Paul grace in the midst of his pain to sustain him, to draw him close to ourselves. See, in our weaknesses, God pulls us close. He holds us there, and he reminds us of who he is and that there is a greater purpose beyond which our eyes can see. How many, how many fishermen we have 
If you, if you like to fish, raise your hand. All right. All right. You'll, you'll see where I'm going with this. Even if you don't fish, you'll get the concept. All right. Imagine you're in a boat, and you're going to cast over toward the bank. You've got the trees coming down into the bank. Fish are, have a little... Fish don't have nests. I don't know what they got. It's all, I'm not a fisherman. And so there's all kind of fish along the bank, so you're going to cast over near the bank. And what happens so often when you cast over near the bank? You get caught. You, you don't catch the fish. You get caught. Your, your line gets hung on something. And so here's the amazing thing, all right? You start reeling in. You're connected to the bank. You start reeling in. And you notice something. You're moving. You're floating in a boat. You've cast over to the bank. You're hung. And, and we, we, I mean, I've been there. I'm not an avid fisherman, but I know that, you know, you got an expensive lure. The last thing you want to do is break your line. You want to try to save it as much as possible. But you're reeling in. And as you're reeling, you are moving. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? Is the bank moving toward you? No. No, not at all. That would be ridiculous to think that the bank was... It would be ridiculous to think that we're moving the bank toward us. The, the bank is solid. The bank is secure. There's nothing that's moving it. It is immovable at this point. But what's happening, whether we realize it or not, that in the midst of this action that we are doing to, to, to try to get this unhooked we are becoming lined up and moving toward the bank ourselves. You see, guys, a lot of times when we look at something as simple as prayer, we like to think that prayer is, that if we pray enough that we can move God in a certain way. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't move in response to our prayers necessarily. I'm not saying that. But what, but what I'm saying is we have this mentality a lot of times to think that Prayer is about us bending God to meet our wants. When in reality, when we come to God in prayer, we're lining ourselves up. We're lining ourselves up with the will of God. And in the process, we are being drawn toward that which is immovable. God is drawing us to himself in prayer. If we're going through weakness, God has then burdened our hearts to seek Him in prayer. If you have a burden to pray, God has given you the burden to pray so that He might draw you to Himself in those moments. I've been through highs, I've been through lows, and I can tell you this, I, I was not, I did not, I wasn't excited about those lows. I wasn't, I wasn't happy that I was going through those valleys. But I can tell you the moments with Jesus in those valleys were far sweeter than a lot of those mountaintop moments. Far sweeter. Because in those moments, God is drawing us to himself. God's doing this when we're weak. He's keeping us humble. He's drawing us to himself. Thirdly, God is giving us grace. He's giving us grace. Look back in chapter 12 and verse 9. But he said to me, this is God's response, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Now he says something else here in a second. We'll get to that. The word sufficient, you know, if we, if we kind of define that simply, means enough. My grace is enough 
for you. My grace is sufficient. My grace is all you need. You need the grace of God more than you need your circumstances to change. Hello. You need the grace of God more than you need your circumstances to change. When God said, my grace is sufficient for you, he affirmed the the total sufficiency of his grace for every need of our lives. God's grace, I I want you to think about this for a second. This is crazy to think that God's grace enables us to believe the gospel. You are saved by grace through faith. It is the grace of God that enables us to believe the gospel. It is the grace of God that enables us to understand and apply his word to all areas of our life. It's the grace of God that enables us to overcome sin, to overcome temptation. It's the grace of God that enables us to endure suffering and sorrows and pain and disappointments. It's the grace of God that enables us to obey God, to serve him effectively. And it is the grace of God that enables us to worship him. We stood and we sang and we gave praise to God by His grace. God's grace is enough to overcome anything in our lives. And you don't need God plus better circumstances. You don't need God plus money. You don't need God plus health. In fact, the moment you say plus, it says, God, you're not enough. His grace is sufficient, it is enough for every weakness, for every trial, for every valley that we will ever go through. He's keeping us humble. He's drawing us to himself. He's giving us grace. And finally, God is perfecting his power. He's perfecting his power. Look look back again in verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. And then look what he says second. For my power is made, what? Perfect in weakness. He doesn't say my power is made perfect when your life is great. He says my power is made perfect in those moments of weakness that you go through that you think are meaningless and pointless and hopeless. That is where my power is perfected in you. And he goes on and says this, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Why? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. As a believer, you you will be most effectively used by God, arguably, when you in yourself are out of answers and completely drained of your own confidence and strength. Guys, no no one in God's kingdom is too weak to experience God's power, and, and the ones who won't experience it are those who are too confident in themselves. There was a, um, there's a there, there are a lot of hymns written, I, I love hymns, I, ha, I have such a deep love and appreciation for hymns, especially hard hymns to sing, and sometimes there are hymns that you sing and you, and you listen to the lyrics and you're like, I don't really want to sing that, 
but it's true. There's a song called More Love to Thee, and, and when one of these verses comes, I love the song, a phenomenal song, because it's all about more love to Christ, just more love to Him, less love of myself, more love to Him. But there's one verse that says, let sorrow do its work. Send grief and pain. Sweet are thy messengers, sweet their refrain. When they can sing with me, more love, O Christ, to thee. More love to thee, O Christ, more love to thee. And that song isn't like, woohoo, I can't wait for tragedy. It's not what that song is saying. But that song is being content in weakness. It's being content in sorrow. It's being content in calamity, knowing that God is at work and it's not pointless. And it is often through times of weakness and struggle where God humbles us, draws us to himself, gives us grace, and perfects his power. Physical suffering... You know, Paul was given a thorn in the flesh, so, so in the flesh, this is something physical that he was dealing with here. You know, everything, mental anguish, dis disappointment, unfulfillment, failure, you know what these things do? They squeeze the impurities out of a believer's life a lot of times. So that all that's left is what looks like Jesus. Jesus. There's another old hymn that for the longest time in my life I never had the courage to sing and still at times feel that way. It's by a guy named John Newton. If you don't know who John Newton is, he also wrote Amazing Grace. All right? Fairly popular hymn. It's called I Asked the Lord. I asked the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace. Might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. T'was he who taught me thus to pray, and, and he, I trust, has answered prayer. But it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. I hoped that in some favored hour at once he'd answer my request and by his love's constraining power subdue my sins and give me rest. Kind of sounds like I pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away. And, and what does God say in response? L listen as John Newton continues to write. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell Assault my soul in every part. I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. Lord, what? Oh, no, I skipped one. Can't do that. Yea, more with his own hand he seemed content to aggravate my woe. Crossed all the fair designs I schemed. Hum laid, uh, humbled my heart and laid me low keeping me humble. And then listen to these last two verses. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied, I answer prayer for grace and faith. And listen to these last words. This is as if God is saying this to him. He says, 
these inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayest seek thy all in me. When we go through weaknesses, God is not still, He's not silent, He is at work. Do not allow your circumstances to convince you that God has left you or forsaken you. Because God told you in his word that he'll never leave you or forsake you, and, and God can't lie. In fact, even when we're faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot and he will not deny himself. He's keeping us humble. He's drawing us to himself. He's giving us grace. He is perfecting his power. Therefore, may we boast all the more in our weaknesses, for when we are weak, then we are strong. Let's bow our heads as we bring our time together to a close. My prayer is that if you're here this morning, first and foremost, if you are a believer, man, may, maybe you're going through those weak moments. I'm, I'm sure you have. If not, you probably will. But I, I wonder, and I, I'm guilty of this as anybody, you know, too often we, we look at those times and we say, God, where are you? What are you doing? This doesn't make sense. And I've asked you to, to be done with this, but you're not taking it away. God, what's going on? And God reminds us, I'm at work. And I'm sovereign over all of it. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? So maybe we just need to come before God and we need to pray and we say, God, help me trust you. Give me, give me greater faith. Give me that I might walk in obedience to you and, and trust that you are God and I am not. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian and you're still living this life thing on your own, man. And it stinks. It's hard, but the reality is you weren't meant to do this on your own. You were meant to be in a covenant relationship with your Creator, with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, the Bible tells us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means we've all said things, done things, thought things that God is not pleased with, that goes against His holy standard of what is right. And because we've sinned, we're going to die, because the, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible tells us if we confess our sins, that he is faithful, he is just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. That if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if that's you, if that's where you are here this morning, and you would say, Stephen, right now in this moment, I want to be forgiven of my sins. I surrender my life to Jesus Christ. I want to make him Lord of my life. 
If that's you, I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not going to hunt you down after this is over and embarrass you. I'm not going to do any of that. But if that's you, I'd just like for you to raise your hand up so I can see where you're at. If that's you, or maybe you didn't raise your hand up, but that's what you want to do. There are connection cards in the back sleeve of the seat in front of you. And I know the leadership here at Summit would love for you to fill those, that connection card out and let them know about a decision that you would be making today or whatever the case may be. Father, I come to you thanking you for your word, thanking you that you are a God who is in control of all things and you will not leave us. You are good. Thank you that in the moments of weakness that we face, in the moments of trial and calamity, when we feel like there is no hope, Father, you remain faithful. And you will draw us to yourself. You will give us grace and you will perfect your power. Thank you that you are that God. Bless the remainder of our time as we dismiss. We give you all the praise and glory. For it is in Christ's name I pray. Amen.